This is an AMI podcast. Good morning. It's Tuesday, October the 10th, 2023. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Horns have decided they want to continue their long weekend fun. That's all good. I can still tell you what's coming up on the show today. Do you with disabilities will tackle that question in their upcoming webinar? Shelly Petit will tell you more about it. What should the standard be for staircase accessibility? I know that sounds a little bit like an oxymoron because staircases are like one of the ultimate accessibility barriers. But there are some standards you can contemplate in a world that will continue with stairs. Community reporter Anna Kim describes her preferences. And the show wraps up with another edition of the Weekly News Quiz. Alicia Yardley, Amanda Shikarchi, and Alex Smythe will battle it out for the title. But the show begins with the top story of the day, and it's the conflict in Israel. Israel continues its response to the Hamas a terrorist attack. Charles de Ledesma has the latest. Gaza's Jabalia refugee camp was left in ruins after Israeli airstrikes decimated the area on October 9. Footage showing locals searching for survivors amongst the rubble of destroyed buildings. Israel says it takes pains to avoid civilian casualties as it targets Hamas militant sites. But its military has also bombed multi-storey family homes in crowded residential neighbourhoods. Palestinians say there's no real escape in Gaza, which has been under a suffocation. 16-year blockade imposed by Israel and Egypt. I'm Charles Diladesma. Reporter Andrew Dumbert has more on the story. After destroying hundreds of buildings, Israel has sealed Gaza off from food, fuel, and other supplies. Life is, has, has, has become literally unbearable. Jason Shawa, a Palestinian living in Gaza, says they have nowhere to go. Uh, it is totally uh, uh, walled off by Israel. In Israel, long lines are forming at grocery stores amid concern about shortages and people living in fear as Hamas continues to hit Israeli cities and civilian areas. Qatar is in talks with both Israel and Hamas to try and broker a ceasefire. There have been protests and marches in Canada as violence escalates. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau condemned any celebration of violence. The glorification of death and violence and terror has no place anywhere, including and especially here in Canada. And so did opposition leader Pierre Poilievre. Hamas does not speak for the Palestinian people, it does not speak for Muslims, and it surely does not speak for Canadians. And that is why I unreservedly condemn any and all who took part in the disgusting celebrations that we have seen on our streets. There's no easy way to pivot off this story. I'll simply say I'm leaving it here because this is a story of human suffering, and I will 
give you updates on the story as is relevant, but I'm not going to be giving you the daily blow-by-blow -blow of conflict in Gaza and Israel and the West Bank and the Arab-Israeli conflict. I could start talking to you right now for the remainder of this two hours and barely scratch the surface of the complex geopolitical history that exists in that region. There are entire university courses dedicated to singular decades or singular years of that conflict. There's no perspective that I can offer you on any given day that uh, will be helpful to the dialogue and discussion. So I will be giving you relevant geopolitical updates on that story, but I will not be giving you the daily blow by blow. I wanted to put that caveat out there for you. Let's switch over to the world of economics. Three stories for you. Unionized workers at three General Motors facilities in Southern Ontario have hit the bricks for a better contract. Karen Rebo has the latest. Unifor says the decision to launch its strike at midnight Eastern time was not taken lightly. Its update to members from Unifor National President Lana Payne read that after working throughout the Thanksgiving weekend and into the final hours before the deadline, General Motors made it clear that it would not agree to meet the conditions of the pattern agreement the union reached last month with Ford on pensions, income supports for retired workers, and meaningful steps to transition temporary part-time workers into permanent full-time jobs. GM has posted on social media it remains at the bargaining table and is committed to keep working with Unifor to reach a deal that is fair and flexible. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press, Toronto. And south of the border, U.S. Federal Reserve officials are dropping some breadcrumbs about interest rate decisions. Ed Donahue explains. Philip Jefferson, vice chair of the Fed's board, and the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, Lori Logan, both suggested in speeches interest rates may be left unchanged in three weeks at the next meeting. A surge in long-term interest rates has made borrowing more expensive and could help cool inflation without any more action by the Fed. The goal has been to get inflation down to the Fed's 2% target. Since March of last year, the benchmark short-term rate has gone up 11 times. Also, last week, Mary Daly, president of the San Francisco Fed, said if longer-term interest rates remain high, the need to take further action is diminished. Ed Donahue, Washington. And more broadly speaking, the International Monetary Fund has released some data about the global economy. Charles de Ledesma takes a closer look. The IMF says it expects global growth to slow to 2.9% in 2024 from an expected 3% this year. The new forecast is down a notch from the 3% it predicted back in July. The declaration comes at a time when the world has yet to fully mend from a devastating but short-lived COVID-19 recession in 2020. A series of shocks, including the pandemic and Russia's invasion of Ukraine, has slashed worldwide economic output by about 3 $3.7 trillion over the past three years compared with pre-COVID trends. I'm Charles de Ledesma. That's your look at the news. Here come the daily polls at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. On Friday, there was a lot of talk of e-books and literature and audiobooks and accessible reading so I asked you, what's your preferred format to read a book? 45% of you said audiobook, 15% of you said e-reader, 40% of you said hardcover or paperback, and 0% of you said other, which kind of makes some sense because I think I covered <laughs> most of the formats in, that, in those options. There were some Facebook responses here. Leona writes in audiobooks. I used to read hardcover books. Holding the book, feeling the pages, and reading the story was a guaranteed to let my imagination roam. 
Chrome. Audiobooks do the same for me now. Craft and Deborah says audiobook and ebook are neck and neck. I did audiobooks when I am doing housework or some crafts, but if I'm just knitting an easy pattern or just relaxing in bed, I prefer ebooks. I also have a co cochlear implant, so I'm unable to lay down with it, so I'm forced to read ebooks when I go to bed at night. Today's daily poll coming from a trend on social media because today is World Mental Health Day. So at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, I'm asking you, what is your preferred method of self-care? And don't be limited by these options, writing with your thoughts, their sleep, there's exercise, there's creativity, and there's food. One caveat that I want to put out here before I throw the ball over to Amanda Shikarchi and Alex Smythe is that when you're talking about mental health, self-care is a Band-Aid. Maybe can deal with some smaller issues, but at the end of the day, mental health is sometimes used a little flippantly in the way people talk about it in the abstract. When there are real mental health needs and real mental health crises, oftentimes there is no substitute for therapy. So don't be dismissive or fooled by me asking about self-care methods today. I'm well aware that access to therapy and more therapists being available are what's going to deal with the ongoing mental health crisis that is existing for a lot of people in this country and in this world. But what can we do as normal civilians? We can do a little bit of mitigation, mitigation, and that's where self-care comes into play. So your options again, sleep, exercise, creativity, and food. Amanda Shikarchi, I've got to say, when it comes to my life, I waver between sleep and exercise. I'll tell you, though, exercise is probably the more effective of the methods for me. Honestly, Dave, I'm the same way. Those were the top two that came to mind as well because there have been some nights where I'd literally text my friends at around 10 p.m. being like, sorry to cut this short, but I need to get to bed. I'm exhausted today. But I've also been trying to make a habit of working out as much as I can. Like I have a treadmill at home, so I do a home workout and an ab workout, and I also try to go to the gym. I am a pretty mean kickboxer, so wow. don't want to mess with me when it comes to boxing. <laughs> okay, duly noted, duly noted. Next time Amanda comes to the office, don't uh, mess around and find out. Uh, Alex Smythe, what about you? Yeah, so for me, like, uh, exercise is, is a, a great way to, you know, uh, maintain that focus and, and, and help with just that self-care. But I think when I'm when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling like this, I, I need a bit of a reset. Sleep is really where I go because I think I, I always feel much better, even in the short term and long term after I get some sleep exercise, you know, especially if you're getting into it, you're going to be sore for a little while after those first few sessions. So for something just to pick it up as you go, sleep is a great one. Food, I, I love my food, but I think it very quickly goes into the line of it's being unhealthy for me because usually <laughs> if I if I need some food for, for some comfort, I'm not reaching for an apple or a pear or some celery. I'm reaching for something fatty, sugary, and delicious. Yeah, self-care food is rarely a, uh, a big salad, a big 
big, a big healthy salad. It's typically a big uh, pizza with some maybe mm -hmm. vegetables on it, but uh, maybe not so much uh, in the way that you would hope. Yes, I, I think sleep and exercise are probably going to be the two that really, really hop out here. Although there's already been some comments on social media on the Facebook post at Accessible Media Inc. where folks are indicating that creativity is a good one for them. And Alex, that was something that Ann Camozzi brought to the table last week when talking about climate anxiety, saying you need to find ways to be creative and lean into it. So uh, it, is, it is interesting to see people already chiming in the social space talking about creativity. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there is something to that, especially if you are a creative, expressive person in, in that regard. Like for me, when I was younger, I used to love writing and doing creative writing because it, it can help you focus. It can help you kind of let your, your mind settle a bit and get ideas out there. You know, if you're, you're, you're kind of overwhelmed, you put it pen to paper or you put finger to keyboard, you can let things just start to flow out. You let yourself kind of focus and process uh, a lot that's going on. So there's definitely um, a, a true benefit to being creative and expressing it in the different ways that uh, you would do it at home yeah no doubt about no doubt about that one okay let's send this out to the listener land and viewer vortex at accessible media on twitter at accessible media inc on facebook on world mental health day what is your preferred method of self-care sleep exercise creativity or food so beyond at accessible media on twitter or at accessible media inc on facebook you can also chime in via the email line feedback at ami.com feedback at ami.ca or pick up the phone and give the show a call 1-866-509-4545 1-866-509-4545 coming up after the break do you have the right tools for the job the new brunswick coalition of persons with disabilities will tackle this question at an upcoming webinar shelly petit will tell you more about it this is now with dave brown on ami tv It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The New Brunswick Coalition of Persons with Disabilities is always finding ways to connect with the community. They are hosting a webinar called The Right Tool for the Job. The event happens on Sunday, and it's hosted by yours truly, in case you don't get enough of me Monday to Friday. Shelley Petit has more information for you. Shelley is the chair of the coalition. Hey, good morning, Shelley. Good morning, Dave. How are you? Shelly, I'm good. I'm looking forward to uh, hosting the uh, webinar on Sunday. But I'm curious, the, the expression right tool for the job, that's an interesting label for a webinar. What do you mean by that? Um, we often talk with members who, you know, let's say a wheelchair is a good example. They're in uh, just a manual wheelchair. And we know that a power chair would probably be more beneficial for them. It would open up more doors. It would allow them to go further places um, and not exhaust them as much as trying to maneuver around a manual chair. But they're, uh, they're somewhat scared to go to this power chair because there's this notion that it's going to make you more disabled is often the term. Um, I went through myself, I have to wear a mask to go outside. And this was long before COVID was wearing masks. And 
you know, I was hesitant to put the first mask on I had to wear. And then as I had to upgrade as it got worse, I didn't want to wear a gas mask to go out into society. But eventually I had to take that because it was the right tool so that I could leave my house safely. And that's sort of what it comes from. Where do you think that that difficulty to embrace the right tool comes from? It's a psychological thing. We've talked uh, with some professionals at Stan Cassidy, which is the, one of the rehab centers here um, that works with persons with disabilities, as well as Neil Squire. And that's why we have Dr. Rebecca Mills, who is a neuropsychologist who's going to be there to address that, that psychology behind it. Um, the fear maybe of, of going to the next level because instead of seeing it as opening doors, we see it as closing doors. And part of that, I think, in New Brunswick is the lack of accessibility. So if you do have to upgrade to a power chair, you know, transit could be more of an issue for you. Mm. Um, but yet so many other doors open up. So it's that balancing act. How do you figure out when it's time to move to the next next level of equipment? And what is the next level of equipment? Because we find social development is not really out there saying, oh, you should be trying this or you should be getting this. And they're expecting us to come with at them with this equipment. So we're going to arm our members with that information so they know what is available for them out there. What is the positive outcome, right? When there, So there's obviously a positive outcome to this, the right tool yeah. for the job. What are those positive differences when someone is willing to put some of that psychology or that psychological hurdle behind them or beside them or move it out of the way? What is the positive outcome? Uh, I think, well, first of all, it allows them to self-advocate for themselves. And that's so important. When you, when you have that information and you can self-advocate for yourself a little bit better, that's huge because you feel like you've done what you need to do for yourself. And uh, it's a hard thing to do sometimes. And people fear self-advocating against these departments because they kind of hold our life in their hands some days, right? Mm -hmm. um, a great piece of uh, a tool that we see as a tool is accessible housing. There is such a lack of accessible housing. We have so many members that have been put into housing that is not even close to accessible. And if this helps them learn how to advocate for either the tools they need to continue to live in the unit that they're in that's not accessible enough or to a better unit, that then keep, keeps you from being exhausted just trying to get around your house so that you can either go out and spend time with friends or work. You know, yeah. there's, there's those two things. We need to get out of the house more often. But if just trying to get from your bed to the kitchen exhausts you, that's not a good day. So Shelly, you, you mentioned that there's gonna be an opportunity here to arm people with um, some information yes. about tools or equipment they may find useful. Yes. So what are you planning to, to, to spotlight at the seminar? And by the way, I can't imagine that's a particularly easy task because there are probably a bazillion tools that people would find useful. Right. Exactly, yeah. So this time around, like we have certain guests. So we have, um, the host with most, Mr. Dave Brown, because we felt it was very important to have a host who lives in our world, right? Uh, having someone who doesn't live in our world, you know, then we're not doing that nothing about us without us. We have Dr. Rebecca Mills, who's a clinical psychologist, uh, neuropsychologist, I guess, who works at Stan Cassidy Center. We have Stefan Morin, who is the regional clinical education manager from Per Mobile. So he's gonna be showing us a lot of the new equipment coming off the line. We have Philip Riscala, who's going to be there to talk to us from Accessibility Standards Canada. 
and talk to us about some of the new standards coming down the line that's going to make life better for us. We have Alana Dizil, who is an occupational therapist at Neil Squire, who again can talk to us about some of the tools and equipment out there that we're not aware of. And Mark uh, Pentland, who is uh, a member of the Premier's Council here in New Brunswick, the Premier's Council on Disabilities. And he's a communication engagement coordinator who will help set us up to so many people don't even know a lot of the where you should go. So if you need mobility equipment, you have to start with the Adability New Brunswick. Or if it's for, you know, a mental health piece, you go to this group. And, and so just to sort of straighten all that out and set up these lines of communication so people know where to turn. Uh, because I myself at 48 was just handed a piece of paper and yeah. it doesn't help you very much. <laughs> well, it, it sounds like it's going to be a pretty busy afternoon here. I don't know how you're going to yes. cram that all, all into a couple of hours, Shelley. But but obviously New Brunswick is in the name of your organization. But yes. who's welcome to attend this? Everybody. Because there are some things that might be a little more specific to New Brunswick, like the Premier's Council regulations. But everything that they're doing there, we keep saying our best practices that we've learned from other provinces, right? So this could be for people with disabilities. This could be for their family, for allies. We're hoping we're gonna see social workers there. We've invited many of them. Uh, people who are planning to run for election in New Brunswick, which could happen any day now, because we are the single largest demographic and they need to start paying way more attention to us. This is for anybody in anywhere in Canada, the States, North America, the world, um, because many of our barriers are the same regardless of where you live. And the more we share, the more armed we become with these right tools. So whether yeah. we're arming someone elsewhere or someone sends us information afterwards, it's all good. And then we want to follow this up in the you know, middle, winter, late spring and look at some specific areas like autism and uh, mental health and, and do some more focused, detailed sessions on very specific issues so that we can arm everybody with what they need. NBCPD.org to learn more. NBCPD.org to learn more. The right tool for the job. The webinar takes place this Sunday, October the 15th yeah. on Zoom. So nice and easy for folks to uh, get registered and remote into that one no matter where they may be. Shelly, thank you for this. Thank you for the primer and the preview. I look forward to talking to you a little bit later in the week and then talking to you some more on Sunday. Thank you so much for agreeing to host this. We think this is a really important session for every Canadian to take part in. That's Shelley Petit, the chair of the New Brunswick Coalition of Persons with Disabilities. The right tool for the job seminar takes place Sunday, October the 15th on Zoom. And that website, one more time, nbcpd.org, nbcpd.org. Coming up after the break, attention all fishing enthusiasts. It's fall fishing season. So what kind of species should you be fishing for? Lawrence Gunther will give you some handy tips or some hooky tips. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Fall is just a few weeks old, but goodness gracious does it feel like fall outside. There is a chill in the air. I didn't even walk in wearing shorts today. That's how chilly it is. But just because it's getting a little chilly doesn't mean you can't enjoy some fall activities in the great outdoors. One of them is fishing. And there's nobody better to talk about fishing than Lawrence Gunther. Lawrence is the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. Hey, good morning, Lawrence. Hi, Dave. Lawrence, it really does feel like fall out there, eh? Like, holy smokes, it changed fast. Boom, summer, fall. Yeah. Like, no, no transition. <laughs> it was like 30 <laughs> degrees last Wednesday, and now it's yeah. uh, cold outside. That's how these things go. So, Lawrence, what's the difference between fishing in the summer and fishing in the fall? You know, uh, things start to slow down a little bit. Water temperatures start to drop, but so do air temperatures. So it's much nicer to be out there, you know, when the, when the cooler temperatures are not sweating out there in the boat, you know, full exposed to the sun. Fish uh, start to slow down a little bit, but, you know, they also say they put on the feed bag. For some reason, they know, you know, winter's coming and, and they need to sort of bulk up before, uh, you know, that slow season during the winter. So they gobble things up like like mad. But the other thing I really enjoy, there's a lot of bird migration going on. So when you're out there in nature, you know, on a beautiful lake or by shore, and all of a sudden a, a big row of ducks or or a big via geese come flying by, it's just beautiful. You know, it just adds to the whole mystique of uh, being in nature. What are some of the species that tend to be typical around this time of year? Whitefish is an overlooked species in Canada. It's a really good food, uh, table food, fair kind of fish. There, there are lots of them in many lakes. They're a little trickier to catch. They're deeper fish. So the best way to catch them, and this works well for people who fish by touch like me, is straight below the boat, right? You're going down 40, 50, uh, 80 feet. Oh, wow. These fish, these fish uh, swim up, though. They swim up and tap your bait and they taste it. So their mouths, they're bottom feeders. So they're not aggressive like uh, tigers, you know, they're more like sucking it up and tasting it. So I use a little bit of uh, 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 taste on, on my bait. I put a little bit of uh, attractant on it and you can get all different, you know, flavors and shapes and spray on creams, like a chapstick almost. Just don't confuse it with your regular chapstick, but you smear a bit on your, uh, on your lure. They'll take a little tap at it. They'll taste it and they'll come back and, 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 and bite it again a little more aggressively the next time. So they're not hard to catch, but they're so much fun and they can get up to five, six pounds. The other one, Dave, the, the fall fish that everyone really loves. Of course, there's Pacific salmon on the West Coast, uh, but, you know, they're having a little bit of trouble. So it's hit and miss on whether you should actually fish for them. And you got to really pay attention on that one. But musky, musky is a big one, right? Musky on the Ottawa River, the St. Lawrence River, the uh, St. Clair River, the St. John's River, uh, St. John River on the East Coast. Muskie, Dave, get up to, you know, five feet long. Uh, they're maybe 60, 70 pounds. Oh, my gosh. These, these are the lions of the fresh water, right? They, you know, they take lures as long as your forearm. And uh, absolutely, absolutely explosive, uh, uh, maniacal, crazy fun. Well, that, that's got to be a battle to get a 60, 70 foot fish onto the boat if you're actually going to catch the thing. Oh, yeah. You're using a nine-foot fishing rod. You're using 100-pound uh, test fishing line. You're using hooks that are, you know, six-aught, seven-aught size hooks. These hooks are as big as your finger curled over. You know, the, the nets, Dave, I could curl up in the net, no problem. 
<laughs> just curl up for a little nap. Have, have your own little hammock there right on the boat. Uh, <laughs> Lawrence, what about spaces? You mentioned, for example, the whitefish is more of a lake. You're going to go to the middle of the lake to catch that. You mentioned yeah. the muskie might be a little bit more of a river-oriented spot. What are sort of the prime places for fall fishing? Well, the Canadian Shield lakes are, are amazing, right? So, you know, we're lucky in Ontario, you can go north. And um, and and they're, they're beautiful lakes in the fall, especially with all the colors and everything happening and, and just the smells. And it's just you feel, you taste, you hear nature. It's just gorgeous. Um, you know, the... the the rivers can be good as well. Like all the rivers along Lake Ontario, they're all teeming with salmon and they'll soon be teeming with steelhead as the temperature continues to drop. Um, you know, smaller rivers are good too, but fish are moving around a little bit. They don't move too far. There's the migrating fish that are looking to spawn, but other fish are coming out of the weed beds. You know, the weeds are starting to die off with the cooler temperatures. They'll be dying off soon. And that means they're letting out less oxygen. So the fish that have been hiding in those weeds all summer long are going to start to come out of the weeds and start to move around. They're going to be hungry. They're going to be looking for bait fish. So they're going to be looking for bait balls. They're going to be cruising shorelines. They're moving about. So they're much easier to sort of catch, but you have to intercept them. You know, you're not going to go into where they live to find them. You're going to just sort of troll about in, in boats and your kayak. Uh, that's the most productive way to catch them this time of year. It's just is moving your lure. What are some other tips, simple tips when it comes to a fall fishing slow it down you know the 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 water temperatures are slowing down these are cold blooded animals so as the water temperature drops so does their body temperature and when their body temperature drops their metabolism drops right so in the summer when the water is warm and hot their metabolism is rushing their heartbeat is rushing they need to eat food because they're metabolizing the food much faster so they're always hungry now they're 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 getting less hungry so they're going to start to eat maybe a little bit less a little less often and maybe eating smaller things so, so you know downsizing your bait a little bit too this time of year because they're not looking for that big meal they're just looking for the little snacks you know just to finish off the the, the feed before they head off into the uh, winter when they're really slow down this is always a risky question to ask an angler because we might be here the rest of the day based <laughs> on your answer but what's your most memorable fall fishing story well i think last fall it was about this time of year and uh I did an interview with Adrian Smith. He's the lead guitarist for Iron Maiden. And, I, and he, he wrote a book about fishing. He's been traveling with the band for over 40 years. And everywhere he goes, he he goes fishing. And he wrote a book about the fish he's caught around the world and, and the conservation issues he's noticed. So I said, you know, let's get him on the podcast on Bluefish Radio. Anyways, he was coming through Ottawa last year. He calls me up and he says, Lords. Let's go fishing. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. What I said, what do you want to go fishing for? He goes, oh, he didn't know. You know, so I or organized a musky fishing trip for him. We picked him up in front of the Chateau Laurier Hotel nice. with my truck and my boat. You know, he's just sitting there in front of the hotel and he, get, he comes over, gets in the truck, and we literally fished in the Ottawa River, right downtown Ottawa. And uh, it was a Friday evening. And uh, he caught two beautiful muskie. He caught one and he said, look, he said, that's great. And then we said, well, we'll see if we can catch another one. So he got two fish. Each one was 47. One was 47. One was 47 and a half. Those are big fish, right? Probably over 40 pounds each. So he was pretty pleased with himself for sure. And uh, and I got myself some complimentary uh, tickets to sit with his wife in the box at uh, Canadian Tire Center to watch the band the next night. No, that was, that was fantastic. <laughs> Lawrence Gunther hobnobbing with the stars. 
guitars over here. There's no uh, metal guitarist who, uh, who's not a great fisherman that Lawrence won't hang with. I like that one. That was a good story. Uh, Lawrence, uh, speaking of good stories, what's coming up on the next episode of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther? Well, we're looking at water testing and the accessibility of water testing equipment and why we should all be interested in what's going on with our water quality. It's not just about fish health. It's about our health, about health and nature overall. A lot of things are changing with the with climate change, extreme weather, you know, floods, rains, droughts, all of that. And uh, lots of stuff about that. And the call of the whales. So we're talking about whale calls, whale watching. And some new documentaries that have some fantastic uh, audio description out there. So not only are the whales talking, but some people are talking too about what's going on with this <laughs> underwater photography that makes it so much better. Very good. Lawrence, thank you for this. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Dave. I don't know why I'm telling you to have a great weekend on the uh, first day of the work week, but that's okay. You know, we can already look optimistically uh, towards the weekend as well. That's Lawrence Gunther, the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. You can catch that show weekends at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio, and you can catch Lawrence on Twitter at Lawrence Gunther, at Lawrence Gunther, L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E, and Gunther is G-U-N-T-H-E-R. In 60 seconds, Alex Smythe has the weather story of the day. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minutes. Canada's main stock index gained more than half a percent before the Thanksgiving long holiday weekend. Toronto's TSX index gained 108 points on Friday to close at 19,246. New York markets were back in action yesterday, with the Dow Jones average adding 197 points and the Nasdaq gaining 52. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index surged 751 points, or 2.4 percent. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 73.6 cents U.S. Three General Motors plants in southern Ontario are strike-bound this morning. Unifor's national president, Lana Payne, said the union launched a strike against GM just after the midnight deadline passed. She blamed the automaker's unwillingness to agree on the union's pattern bargaining demands it achieved last month with Ford on a number of fronts, including pensions and temporary part-time work. The strike includes almost 4,300 auto workers from GM facilities in Oshawa, St. Catharines and Woodstock. General Motors says it's willing to stay at the table. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo. Thank you very much, Karen. From business to weather, let's bring in Alex Smythe. Alex, all eyes are on some weather in British Columbia. Yeah, Dave, it's a wet uh, start to the work week out in BC. So there's strong winds and heavy rain expected to linger in the area until about Wednesday evening. Then it'll, that system will start to make its way eastward into the interior. So some areas could see upwards of 100 millimeters of rain, including places like Tofino and other areas on the island. Meanwhile, in Vancouver, uh, the Rainfall is expected to be around 50 millimeters uh, in total. Not as much as on the island, but still a very heavy downpour. And rain isn't the only factor. There's also strong winds in the area where there could be some areas along the coast that could reach upwards of 80 kilometers per hour. So 
Obviously, there is a risk whenever you're dealing with this amount of rain, this amount, this heavy wind, that there could be things like flooding or power lines being down. So everyone in the region should take precaution if they're out and about during the storm system, just be extra careful. You don't want to run across any issues or any potential hazards. That said though, for a bit of a silver lining, it may be rough conditions now, but that system will clear. And towards the end of the week, Thursday, Friday into the weekend, supposed to be quite warm, quite sunny. So there is at least something to look forward to if you're out on the West Coast. There you go, a little bit of sunshine through the clouds. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up after the break, what should be the standard for staircase accessibility? I know that sounds a little bit like a contradiction because the stair is obviously going to be an accessibility barrier. However, in the world that you live, stairs will always be around. So what can you do to make stairs more inclusive? Well, community reporter Anna Kim explains her preferences. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Stairs are a big problem when it comes to accessibility. You could argue they are the most basic obstacle when it comes to making a space more accessible. Stairs will never be fully phased out as the world becomes more inclusive, but stairs themselves could be designed better. Alberta community reporter Anna Kim has some beef with stairs. Hey, good morning, Anna. Good morning. Uh, Anna, I also have some beef with stairs, but what have you been dealing with when it comes to uh, staircases and stairwells? I have been dealing with so many things, my goodness. It started as a child when we had a stair in our house and it was just one step oh. from the living room to the dining room. No. Oh my goodness, I would trip down that thing at least once a day, at least. <laughs> and it was something as simple as with no depth perception and the flooring being exactly the same, there was no indicator for me to understand where exactly the stair was. And, you know, as a little four-year-old child, you don't quite understand spatial awareness. And especially as a blind four-year-old child, it, it doesn't quite register that there could be a stair there like there was, you know, five minutes ago. And then it kind of, you know, as I've gotten older, has increased to being much more aware of, well, stairs on sidewalks, concrete stairs specifically. Oh, I yeah. despise with all my soul and wooden stairs like on decks because the, the slats are exactly the same and they're all the same color, same tone, same width. It just looks like it's a continuation of the deck and it doesn't look like there's a stair there. So I've had my fair share of bumps and bruises from falling off those. Anna, you are identifying something that I feel so deeply as well, which is a real lack of indicators, whether they be visual, right? You see some that are maybe uh, uh, like aggressively like the bright yellow lines at the edge of steps. And sometimes you get some that are a little bit more subtle, but you also get a lack of tactile markers. And again, you have to be a little bit careful. You don't want to put uh, too many bumps on a stair because that might affect somebody 
else who has a balance balance issue. But I will say, Anna, as someone who has to wander around and does a lot of traveling, the number of times you encounter steps that are of varying sizes and at weird angles with each other that aren't marked at all and there's no handrails to hang on to, it's disaster waiting to happen. And, I, and I'm getting old here. I only have so many hit points left if I fall anymore. <laughs> Luckily, me being a young, agile teenager, I still got a, a couple more you know, falls that I can take. But I 100% agree. That whole mismatched stare thing, oh, it just drives me nuts. And it sometimes gets to the point where you know, I, I take my foot and I kind of kick on the stair before I, I lift my foot up to make sure that, you know, I will not or I'll be able to, to lift my foot high enough so that I won't trip or um, especially walking down those types of stairs and with no handrail, it poses a major problem. Yeah, I, I, I may have gobbled up a little bit of your information there, but when it comes to features to make standards a little bit more inclusive to stairs, what are some of your preferences? Personally, um, as a basic indicator, something as simple as, yes, a line. I mean, my school, bless their heart, attempted to make the stairs more accessible after it, having a couple discussions with me. And they decided to put just electrical tape on the edges of the stairs to attempt to indicate them. Now, I have my issues with that because it's a little bit more of a hazard because then it rubs off and it doesn't stay. So it was a half-assed effort, but it was an effort, right? Yeah. Something as simple as an indicator to let you know, hey, there's stairs here, and then with no depth reception and the inability to gauge distance or size, there's times where I come up to a set of stairs, but I can't tell how far away they are, and they blend into the floor. So I do, I don't know if you do, but I do like a whole like foot out in front of me, make sure that I don't trip over the first step. Um, I look a little funky trying to make sure that, you know, I, I get that first step there. So something as simple as, yeah, a, a tactile indicator to say, hey, this is the first step coming up. Oh, it's Anna, not, Anna I, I, I am I am Mr. Experiment with my feet very, very <laughs> slowly on any stair that I encounter. Uh, I, I, I generally walk at a decent pace, but as soon as you throw any kind of stair into the mix, this guy is just Mr. Tentative, look, looking like a ballet, like a ballet dancer tapping my toe uh, one step below me. Right. And I mean, there are some places that have good ideas for indicators like West Edmonton Mall here. Uh, on Bourbon Street, they have, you know, it's a great design and it's it's gorgeous, but they have almost reflective flooring, tile flooring. And the stairs that they have have lights underneath them. And like, you want to talk about whole ballerina situation? That is me going up to those stairs. And I have a horrible mentality of, oh, I wasn't able to do this next time, but maybe something changed. Oh, no. And so each time I try and and try those stairs to say, maybe I can do it this time. But with the reflective flooring, now this is only at, at West Ed that I find, but with the reflective flooring and then with the lights underneath, it makes it look like there's extra steps. Yes. So that's a type of indication that I, I can't deal with. I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, like there's a big difference between contrast and overkill. And I think what you're describing there is overkill. You've made the contrast too complex that it ends up becoming uniformed. It, exactly. And I mean, you know, it's a design thing. I, I'm, they do have a ramp there for accessibility, which I appreciate. I just like to think that I'm Superwoman and can <laughs> achieve it, even though I didn't last time. Uh, <laughs> but 
you know, the, the design was there and sometimes design elements don't quite fit into that accessibility area too. Yeah. And that's what that is. But, you know, I, I'd like to think that next time that I go to West Ed, down to Bourbon Street, that I can do it all over again, you know, ideally. Ah, the hubris, the hubris of youth. I appreciate it <laughs> uh, greatly. Okay, let's go from interior design to the great outdoors. Going for a hike is by far one of the best fall activities, and there are no shortages of trails across Alberta, but you want to highlight Gates Lake Sanctuary. What makes this sanctuary so special? This sanctuary, it, for one, it's in downtown Red Deer, and you would not know it. And it is the oldest Alberta migratory bird sanctuary that there is. And so, you know, it, now, it being winter, it's you know, maybe there won't be any fun birds there. But definitely in the spring and summer, you get to walk through and listen to all the birds chirping, and there's animals everywhere. It's over 300 acres of just wildlife, and you're able to waltz through it you know look at the the natural beauty of alberta all within the downtown red deer area which i find absolutely insane i love that i love when you can get nature and urban to mesh with one another in a really meaningful way like that but anna it's not just that you can go for a cool hike how is the sanctuary creating immersive experiences they have this really neat program that you can go into and it's where someone takes you outside uh, with with a group and you all sit amongst the trees, sit amongst the nature and you just listen. You listen to those birds, you listen to the animals. If there's snow falling, you know, you can you can hear snow fall and you just take those moments and really sit in nature and then after you are able to immerse yourself there they take you inside and they have all these special kind of instruments that that you can use to try and create those sounds and recreate them and i find especially for someone who's visually impaired it's a great thing to be included within a group and have everyone really take the time to lighten or heighten their other senses right their their hearing and even their sense of touch right in that in that nature setting and then to be able to go back as a group and attempt to recreate those sounds i think is a very neat process that's really making a lifelong experience there right it's not just saying oh i appreciated some bird sounds and you move on it's no let's try to actually go make this into some kind of meaningful memory what an awesome idea what a great concept by the folks at the park brilliant right yeah Okay, well, let's say you've gotten a little bit of a taste from making your own bird sound music, your nature sound music. You might think, okay, let's connect with professional musicians and professional artistic culture. The Alberta Ballet is putting on performances of The Sleeping Beauty. There's going to be shows in Calgary and Edmonton. Why these musical performances jump out to you? My mom did a fantastic job of making me a fan of the arts and appreciating it and i love and hate her for it because they are a beautiful experience um a, a, my first experience with ballet was in the nutcracker and we just happened to be in the very back of the jubilee auditorium to the point where you know you could lean back and touch both walls and so wow. with with that being my first experience I was able to see, you know, very pretty, bright, dancing blobs. They were nice-looking dots 
But I was able to really immerse myself in that music. And that's why I love the ballet, because it's not necessarily only a visual thing. It is very much a auditory. You listen to the music. The music has drama and attitude. And I mean, it's one of the best things to be able to follow a storyline with the music. And if you have a friend there to kind of describe what's going on, it's even better. But with with that lovely you know flow and and waver of the the trumpets or the violins or whatever is going on it really allows you to immerse yourself into the story without actually seeing it and that's why i love the ballet i don't know about you and your ballet dancing skills (laughs) (laughs) i'm not exactly a pro with the pirouettes anna but i will say this uh what you're describing in regard to ballet is where i feel about musical theater my parents when i was growing up really got me into musical theater and similar to you in a lot of cases it was just blobs dancing on stage as a legally blind person (laughs) but you just fall in love with the music and the singing and it's just it's special like there's almost in my mind there are very few ways to spend a friday or saturday night out on the town that are as special as going to the theater i agree 100 percent. so what are the need to know details about the performances because there's shows in calgary and edmonton there are so it's put on by the alberta jubilee so the the jubilee center in calgary and then the one in edmonton calgary is thursday october 26th and or saturday sorry there's Thursday to Saturday, October 26th to 28th, at, and it starts at 7.30 p.m. And then Edmonton's is from is on Saturday, November 2nd, and then to the 4th, also starting at 7.30 p.m. You can contact the actual Jubilee Center to talk about accessibility and what can, what can be done there um, through their website. I was able to contact them a little bit, and we're in discussions about what can happen in regards to accessibility. I mean, going to the theater, as much as I love the music and everything, dark theaters, not fun. They Mm. also have stairs, not really well indicated. (laughs) Stairs are everywhere. You can't get away from them. I like I like how you closed the loop on that one. Uh, and Anna, a lot of uh, a lot of contact information is going to go up on our website, our blog after the show, ami.ca slash now, ami.ca slash now. So Anna, in the meantime, I wish you well in your endeavors to connect with stairs, nature, and culture, and talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Talk to you later. <laughs> That's Anna Kim, community reporter based in Wetaskiwin, Alberta. And again, the blog post uh, with more of that contact information about the park in Red Deer or the ballet performances in Calgary or Edmonton will go up on the blog after the show, ami.ca slash now, ami.ca slash now. In one minute, Amanda Shikarchi will have the entertainment report. But first, the smartwatch marketplace is getting pretty crowded. So where does Fitbit fit? Mike Dubusky explores that question in Tech Trends. Android authorities C. Scott Brown says Fitbit's Sense and Versa watches used to be competitive with other Android smartwatches. They had apps, they had app stores, the the app store was very limited, but they existed. 
Uh, you can connect to Wi-Fi. There were a lot of things about them that were very much in the smartwatch realm. That is until Google acquired the company a few years ago. Right after Google bought them, the, the watches that came out from Fitbit afterwards have been completely demoted and they were basically just glorified fitness trackers with all the smartwatch features basically removed. Brown says the company's smartwatch technology has started showing up in Google's own wearable efforts like the new Pixel Watch 2, which means... What we're going to see from Fitbit going forward is a much more laser-focused product portfolio that's just on fitness trackers and other health-related things. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Thank you very much, Mike. Amanda Shikarchi, there's a whole bunch of content dropping on Netflix. Thanks, Dave. Yes, October is a very exciting month for Netflix. So here are the shows to look out for and movies as well. So there is The Conference, which is a horror film about a team-building conference where participants are executed one by one. There's also a reality show called Surviving Paradise, where contestants have to move from the wilderness into a luxurious villa. Beckham is a four-part documentary series about David Beckham's life as a soccer player. So, Dave, I want to pose this question to you. What is your favorite Netflix original of all times? Oh, okay. This is easy. This is easy. BoJack Horseman. BoJack Horseman was one of the most brilliant animated series that I've ever seen in my life that on World Mental Health Day explored a lot of concepts of addiction and mental health and happiness in a way that was so complex but so digestible that I don't think anyone will ever do as good a job as BoJack Horseman did in exploring that subject matter while still making me laugh extremely frequently. So I think BoJack Horseman is far and away the absolute best series that Netflix has done, but they've done some really good other stuff in the animated space, Amanda. I'm a huge fan of Big Mouth and Human Resources, um, shows that explore sort of love and relationships and puberty uh, through the eyes of both teenagers and hormones. Uh, I just think it's like incredibly, incredibly done. It's uh, quite crass, but I enjoy crass humor, so that works for me. Uh, in terms of some of their more serious stuff, I mean, I really liked the first couple seasons of House of Cards, but I think we're not allowed to talk about how much we liked that show anymore, so maybe we'll leave that one uh, to the side as well. But Amanda, what about you? What are your favorite Netflix originals? All right, I will have to say Stranger Things. So That's a good even one. If it's, <laughs> even if you're not into horror, I feel like it's a worth watch because I feel like they dive into the story with, you know, the 80s theme, the characters, but also the relationships and friendships that you see in this show really is what caused me to press play and the weight on this show and the soundtrack of course i cannot forget to give a shout out to the incredible classic songs on the soundtrack yeah they um, they did not mess around with music on that show that's for sure they, that, that was a huge part of its success and there were songs like uh like running up that hill that had massive resurgences thanks to uh stranger things I agree for sure. And also they had a material girl in season three, which was really like the scene it was paired with was very iconic too. So 
Very, very great soundtrack. <laughs> uh, so, Amanda, you explained this, uh, the conference, a horror film about uh, employees going to a work conference and being executed one by one. I I've been to a couple of those where execution would have been better than attending the rest of the conference. Amanda, thank you for this. Talk to you later for the news quiz. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, nothing like mandatory optional team building at a work conference. Oh, yes, so much fun. Coming up after the break, it's the regional news update, and Brock Richardson has some statistics about the Major League Baseball playoffs. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Tuesday, October the 10th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, there are endless amounts of reality dating shows out there. Why are they so popular? Laura Bain has some theories on this. And it's another edition of the Weekly News Quiz. Alicia Yardley, Amanda Shikarchi, and Alex Smythe go head to head to head the crown but the hour begins with the regional news update beginning in british columbia a movie set got the attention of vancouver area police over the weekend emily javesky has the story RCMP say they were called to an underground parking lot Saturday evening and discovered the men there were part of an action film that was shooting without permits. Police say the film crew were given a warning and educated about city protocols around filming in public spaces. They add the North Vancouver RCMP takes reports involving firearms very seriously. Emily Jovesky, The Canadian Press. And over to the prairies, a historical agricultural building is being modernized in Brandon, Manitoba. Brandon Fresh Farms is set to invest $30 million, converting the Mackenzie Seeds Building into a controlled environment farm. In other words, a seven-story indoor urban farm. Brandon Fresh Farms president Adam Morand says the project will also see a main-level market garden to sell directly to the public. So again, just to reiterate what this is, it's the converting of an urban building into an urban farm, indoor urban farm. This is an idea that should be expanded across the whole country. You wanna talk about food security and developing and growing food security and food safety and food standards and food availability? You should be spending money to build indoor farms in the middle of cities. This is a good idea. And over to Ontario. An Ontario First Nation is raising concerns about the government's plan to mine the Ring of Fire. The Ring of Fire region is rich in minerals for electric battery production. Nestaga Chief Chris Mones feels his residents were not consulted at all. I mean, we're not saying right out no. I mean, we just wanted to be part of it. You know, we have jurisdiction to the uh, to the area, and um, we'll, before anything happens, we want to we want to be able to decide. Mining Minister George Peary says plans are still in the very early stages. We're just getting started on exploration. It's a huge area to be explored. We don't know what's going to be there. We know there's a generational opportunity, and it's op it's an opportunity in Northern Ontario and for Ontario. 
Notice that he sort of sidestepped the question there on, have you consulted people? Well, you know, there's an opportunity. <laughs> That's your look at the regional news. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Brock, starting in the world of Paris sport, the U25 Women's Wheelchair Basketball Championship is in the books for Canada. It is, and it's always a good opportunity for us to talk sports, Dave. So, I mean, here we go. Um, and Canada lost in the quarterfinals against China. The final score was 38-26, thus meaning they dropped into the 5-8 through eight part of the placing tournament. They then defeated Thailand. 54-35, which means that they played for the five versus six game. And then in the five versus six game, they were defeated by Germany, uh, 53-33, which was a bit of a tough loss. And I want to shout out Puisson Lai, who really had an outstanding uh, tournament. She led her team in scoring, rebounds, all the above. And she really had a great tournament. She's part of the national team, and so this was a good opportunity for her to mentor and leadership some young young athletes up and coming. So even though not a great result for Canada being six, still, all in all, an okay event. Yeah, well, it's it's in the books, and like you said, there's an opportunity for growth and development, and sometimes when you're talking about U25 tournaments or like U18 tournaments, you're not necessarily always thinking about gold or silver or bronze. You're thinking about who are the future stars to join the national team. So it's it's maybe less about results, although all sports is about results, <laughs> but sometimes it is about <laughs> development. Yeah, exactly. And just to give you a rundown of uh, Puissant Lai's points, she had 85 points. 25 assists, 52 rebounds, and 8 steals. So this is a pretty good line when you consider she played 8 games for her country over the week or so of the event. So really good stats. Yeah. Brock, let's switch from Parasport to the Major League Baseball playoffs. There are four series that continue to be underway. Uh, what's your observation here after a couple days of the uh, of the divisional round? Because I would, I would argue there are some very surprising results in terms of underdogs holding series leads. Yeah, there are. And it's, it's an interesting one. For me, I, the one I sticks out to me is Baltimore. This is kind of where I saw Baltimore Wait, kind Brock, of Brock, where are they? I, I was, yeah. They are down 2-0 uh, in their series against the Texas Rangers. And I have to on honestly say, I didn't necessarily expect them to be this far down. But this is the young team that we kind of all sort of was like, they're doing so well and they're having a great time. But here they are kind of faltering at this moment. So for me, that's the surprise brink of so elimination far. like it's not just it's not just that they're so far down they're on the brink of elimination in this five in this five game series with uh with texas up to a two nothing lead i mean like baltimore like this will be a disaster they're going into texas for game three and game four texas only needs one more of these wins baltimore is right on the brink here i, I agree brock i'm very surprised because they cruised through most of the second half of the season to lock down the number one spot in the american league and sometimes that's sort of where you can have some negative connotation to when you cruise through the the regular season, sometimes you don't feel the adversity you need. And this could be a product of what we're seeing now with Baltimore being such a young team, 
I suspect that this is this is we're gonna see this moving forward where they're gonna be at the top of the American League and competing, but I'm really surprised. And there is a bit of a window right now for them because we know that the Yankees were bad this year. We know that the Blue, Blue Jays are where they are. The, all these teams are going to get better, but Baltimore has to get better in growth as well. Brock, I'll ask you this as well with my Arizona Diamondbacks now up 2 nothing on the L.A. Dodgers. Also somewhat surprisingly, are you ready to slither onto that Diamondback bandwagon with me? Are you feeling the snake love, the snake bite? Yes, I am, and it's really good. Uh when they have uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Gabriel Moreno, who, of course, you know, were Blue Jays. And this is, this is good. I love the Arizona Diamondbacks and what they've done. And I, it's, they've been fun to watch as well. So, look, yeah. at, look at Brock Richardson feeling the snake bite of the Arizona Diamondbacks. I love it. I love it. We're going to get Diamondbacks jerseys. It's going to be great. We're going to hop on this bandwagon in the way that I do. Okay, Brock, speaking of uh, the broader world of sports, the National Hockey League season begins today at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. I don't know why they're playing a game at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time in Tampa Bay, but they are. So a happy hour at the bar and a hockey game for your attention. But, Brock, you've got the big-time primetime game on your eye here. 8 p.m. Eastern time on Sportsnet, the Chicago Blackhawks and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yes, this is going to be an interesting game for sure, Connor Bedard makes his debut for the Chicago Blackhawks, who was the number one overall draft pick in this uh, this past draft. And, of course, he plays uh, Sidney Crosby. They sat down for an interview uh, a little while ago when they got into this hockey feel, and they were talking about, or Connor Bedard was talking about the idea that, you know, this is a childhood idol, and it, it's going to be really exciting to watch. So, for me, that's the one that I have circled on tonight's calendar and will be happy to uh, give you my thoughts come tomorrow morning on what I see from Connor Bedard. And hopefully I see a little bit of goodness from Sidney Crosby and company as well. So circle that one on your calendar, 8 p.m. Eastern tonight. It's two teams in slightly different positions. Chicago coming off a season where they got the number one overall pick. They're still deeply in rebuild mode. They added a couple good players in the offseason. Uh, Taylor Hall being for one to play on the wing with, with Connor Bedard. That could be a big one. But Pittsburgh is looking for a big bounce back year as well after missing the playoffs by only a couple points last year. They go out, they make the big blockbuster trade in the offseason to bring in Norris-winning defenseman Eric Carlson, an offensive dynamo to join their squad. Brock, I'm not sure it's enough, though. I, I, I wonder if maybe the light is beginning to extinguish on what was the Pittsburgh dynasty. Yeah, I, you know what? I think they stuck with too much of the we're not going to go with this rebuild. We're going to stick with our veterans and we're going to not move forward with this. And I think now they're going to sort of pay the price of what this is going to be. I mean, we'll see. But whenever you have uh, Sidney Crosby at the helm, you never do know. But he is in his mid-30s now and not so much a kid when we refer to him as yeah. Sid the Kid. So, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. I think that that this is this is where we are. And, I mean, I know they brought in, you know, Kyle Dubas to try to you know put this thing together but when you got when you are where you are it's kind of tough to put together a team um so we'll see how long it takes uh for this to be a full-blown rebuild but they really have a trouble letting go of the oh we're not Stanley Cup contenders or we are we are Stanley Cup contenders let's not let go of it and I think 
it's about time that they kind of like go and turn a whole different direction. Yeah, it could be time, but it's tough to do it when you've got Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang, who've got all these Stanley Cup rings on their fingers, and you go trade for Eric Carlson as well. I, I, I get it. Sometimes you got to keep pushing that train down the tracks, even if it's uh, going to lead you to a decade of misery down the, down the road. Brock, thank you for this. Enjoy the hockey. Enjoy the baseball. Enjoy everything going on in the sports world. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Indeed you will. That is Brock Richardson. He is at the AMI Sports Desk. Coming up after the break, there is an endless amount of reality dating TV shows. Why are they so popular? Laura Bain has some theories on this. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown. Reality dating shows are everywhere. You might think of The Bachelor or The Golden Bachelor, or The Bachelorette, that's ABC's offerings. Or then there's Love is Blind, which is super, super duper popular on Netflix. Every network has their own take on the idea or the genre. But why are they so popular? Laura Bain has been pondering this topic. Hey, good morning, Laura. Good morning, Dave. So, Laura, let's get right to it. Bite right into the apple. Why do you think these shows are so popular? Yeah. Um, well, you know, this topic was on my mind. You mentioned Love is Blind, and the latest season of that just came out on Netflix. And I have to admit, I'm someone who kind of burns through these shows pretty much as soon as they're released. Um, so, yeah. So I also wanted to see a little bit about what the experts are saying about uh, why they're popular, because I know I'm I'm not the only one. Um, but if you've ever seen these shows, you know, they really they combine drama, competition, uh, and arguably real life um, so that's a very enticing combination but the drama also isn't contained to the episodes which is really interesting so because these are featuring real people and many of them want to be famous there's also ways that we can engage with these um, you know stars or contestants outside of the platform so on social media um, and according to a USA Today article that I looked at on this topic these shows create what are called parasocial relationships um, between us and the cast members. And what that means is because we can engage with them on so many platforms and because we perceive them as real people, we feel like we actually have a connection to them or we know them. And that just makes us a lot more interested in what's happening in their love lives. I, I know I've been guilty of that. Like after, <laughs> after a season ends, looking up uh, a contestant on their Instagram or reading celebrity news, which obviously isn't something I would do if it was just a traditional fictional show that I was watching. Mm. I, you know, what you're talking about there is what really makes a subculture a subculture that makes it a popular subculture, and it's the second screen experience, right? That you're not simply doing the action of taking in content, you're responding back out to the content. It's actually making you do something. That's fascinating, because I would also put something like the subculture that I love, which is sports, into the mix. You're playing fantasy sports, you're gambling, you're doing hot takes on Twitter. There's something about the content that you're consuming that's actually making you reach out and do more than just watch or listen. 
Yeah, that's so true. And I even saw that there's a Love is Blind game on Netflix. I don't know. I haven't delved into those like <laughs> interactive games you can play, but I think that's just kind of, you know, exactly what you're speaking to there. They're trying to engage people in multiple ways. Laura, you mentioned that when a new season drops, or I think Love is Blind sort of drops it in like little uh, partial seasons or like blocks of episodes. You go in and you voraciously consume. Why? Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking that's part of it where they only give you a little bit and if you've ever watched these shows you know that they always end on a cliffhanger which pretty much means you have to watch the next episode I don't really know why I tune in which is what I think a lot of viewers would say it's not like something I'm proud of um, you know I definitely am someone who likes heartwarming TV uh, feel good kind of happy endings Um, and so I definitely like that aspect of it I tend to watch TV to kind of you know escape the difficulties of the world but um ex- experts have said that people also watch these shows for schadenfreude or you know pleasure in other people's <laughs> suffering i don't know if i want to take it that far and say that that's an element of it but i would say maybe like an interest in the drama or you know when there's characters that are kind of portrayed um edited <laughs> as villains in the show um you know you, you kind of want to see them get their comeuppance as well <laughs> the car crash of reality tv is definitely a part of the reason why folks uh, tune in and you can't you listen you just can't have good tv without villains if it's all good guys then nobody's a good guy if it's all good girls then nobody's a good girl you have to have these uh, folks who uh, stir the pot so to speak mm-hmm. uh, L- laura what do you what do you think the impact in the real world is of these shows. You mentioned that people might be a little bit more engaged or having some schadenfreude or doing some stuff on social. What do you think the impact is in the real dating world of shows like this? Yeah, I I definitely think that there is a real impact, Um, you know, and experts say that a lot of people watch these shows because they're anxious about their own uh, dating lives and maybe they see them as both entertaining and educational, um, which is really scary because these shows like don't make good relationship (laughs) models at all. Um, You know, they... Uh, These shows are highly edited, right, which means that they're not showing the kind of 90% of a healthy relationship, which is just pretty boring and like, (laughs) you know, healthy conflict resolution. Um, So I really like this quote, which was from a recent article in the Canadian Journal of Family and Youth. It says, these shows compromise our ability to understand that love without a steady environment i.e. reality, uh, is just passion and emotion that fade. And so I feel like what happens a lot of times on this show is that uh, passion gets, or infatuation gets conflated with love. And I think, unfortunately, that's being reflected a lot in our dating culture these days, especially with, uh, you know, online dating apps where the next, the, your next match is just one swipe away, yeah, right? Yeah, it gamifies dating. It gamifies dating, it gamifies love. It turns love into a competition rather than an actual like merging and melding of like two people together uh, to build support in a healthy relationship. That's sort of as I read between the lines there, that would be my interpretation of it. Uh, Laura, you are starting to see newer and different iterations of dating shows. How can showrunners make space to continue to give underrepresented communities a platform in these shows? Yeah, I I think that they can. Uh, And as you said, we've seen that a little bit. So I think of, you know, shows like Down for Love or Love on the Spectrum. And I personally just thought those were really 
really well done. I thought they managed to actually educate and to normalize Down syndrome and autism respectfully, but they didn't kind of veer into inspiration porn, which would have been my fear with that. Um, but, and I also thought that, you know, those two shows in particular were a lot more intersectional in ter terms of sexual orientation uh, and gender identity. But I, I think overall it is a problem. These shows tend to be really heteronormative. They feature conventionally attractive, able-bodied, often affluent contestants. Um, and they also tend to perpetuate really traditional relationship values and gender roles. I'm, I'm quite curious about that myself. I didn't find anything kind of delicate delving into that, but, you know, is that a motivation of the networks or the pro producers to put that forward? Or does that say more about the type of person who auditions to be on a reality dating show? I don't know. <laughs> the self-perpetuating circle, yeah. No, you're right, though. Like, there, there has been some, some space created for people with disabilities inside these spaces. But again, it keeps sort of being a specialized show, right? It's not a show where it's like, oh, we're going to have people from the disability community also being as part of the regular dating show. It's no, no, no. Here's your little separate section for you to be in as a person with a disability doing dating, sex, love, relationships, etc. Yeah, absolutely. I would like to see. I mean, they did have the ultimatum, like queer love version, but you know, when you, which, you know, of course I watched, but then you think like, why can't these shows, why do they have to be so kind of segmented off, right? Why isn't there a way that they could do this to just be more inclusive on kind of the mainstream shows? Yeah. Uh, Laura, I think if I were to put a fine pin on this, that the reality dating TV show has been popular for about 20 years, maybe even a little bit longer, pretty much since the inception of reality TV. There's been Love Island or Temptation Island or uh, any kind of romantic subplot, The Bachelor, et cetera, et cetera. How long do you think the genre will stay popular? Yeah, well, I'll just uh, get my crystal ball up <laughs> yeah. here, Dave. Uh -huh. um, I don't see them going any anywhere anytime soon. I think we're sort of inherently as humans really curious about this inside intimate world that we don't normally get to see in, in people's lives. Um, you know, it's like soap operas were popular when I was growing up in the 90s, and this kind of takes them to a whole new level. But <laughs> I, I do think we need to push back against some of the problematic things that we see on these shows and maybe advocate for more like actual people who aren't Instagram models to yeah. be contestants. Well, you know, maybe that's what they want to do with the Golden Bachelor, with sort of the uh, more senior citizen-focused uh, Bachelor, except they're all super hot. Like, they're all super, yeah. super hot. <laughs> it's like nothing but cougars and silver foxes uh, hanging out in that show. So, yeah, maybe we can get a couple more uh, normal people, normal-looking people on TV. That would be nice. Uh, Laura, the, the dating TV show that I remember watching and being a little bit obsessed with when I was, like, 19, 20 years old. Now, now this is one that I might be cutting so deep Deep that no one on earth is going to recognize. It used to be at one in the morning on the Montreal Fox Syndicate. They would play this show called Eliminate, where it would be one guy on a date with three or four women or one woman on a date with three or four men. And every segment of the show during some stage of the date, they would be eliminated. And this show I loved because I didn't need to watch like 77 episodes of a season to follow along. Boom, 22 minutes, we're in, we're out, we're eliminated. So I would like to see a little bit more of the uh, one-off episode of dating shows if I had my druthers.
Yeah, that's fair. But I think I'm just thinking about the poor contestants on that show, you know, and I think that this does create people come on here sometimes in good faith, like looking to find love, but they're put in oh, these no. really artificial situations <laughs> that are not designed to help them with that and, and you know, could create a lot of feelings of jealousy and insecurity and all that. Okay, Laura watches uh, reality TV a little bit differently than I do. I think I think that's pretty <laughs> clear at this point. Uh, Laura, thank you for this. Have a great day. Thank you for doing a little experimentation today. Yeah, thanks, Steve. That's Laura Bain, a columnist in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Coming up after the break, it's not just World Mental Health Day. Of course, that's the topic of the Daily Poll at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, where you're being asked what's your preferred method of self-care. It's also Amazon Prime Day. The large river retailer having their big online sale. So Alex Smythe is going to uh, pose that question to myself and Ramya all about our online shopping habits. I'm a little bit scared to admit what I'm going to admit. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Alex Smythe, it's a big day for the large river retailer in the world of online shopping. Yeah, that's right, Dave. There is a new uh, big sale through Amazon. They're starting today and into tomorrow. And obviously, Thanksgiving's over, so the only thing left to focus on now is all the holiday season shopping. Needless to say, Daria Albinger has the scoop on Amazon's new sale event. First, there were Prime Days, Amazon's midsummer shopping extravaganza. Now, Amazon is kicking off Prime Big Deal Days today as a way to get a jump start on your holiday shopping. The rules are pretty much the same. If you see something, put it in your cart and wait for alerts to get the best deals. This time, you'll also find markdowns on more big ticket items like Peloton bikes and Casper mattresses. Prime Big Deal Days runs through Wednesday. Daria Albinger, ABC News. Yeah, so this event is promoting, as you heard in the report, big discounts on capitalism. the bigger items. Yeah, exactly. It's more for, capitalism. It's promoting Spend capitalism. More money. <laughs> exactly, Dave. So this was something that, you know, I, I started thinking about. And in, in, in my own observations over the past few years, I find sales really haven't uh, been all that impressive, or whether I'm just getting older or the items themselves are, are just still costing more money, the sales are not as uh, enticing as they used to be. So I wanted to kind of start the conversation just posting about just store sta uh, sales in general. And if people, you guys get excited about sales in general or when there are things that are happening. Ramya, we'll start with you. Do you ever get excited when their stores are having big sales or, or sales events like this one? No, I do have friends who can be like, hey, uh, tomatoes are on sale. Want to split 10 tomatoes with me? <laughs> Something like that. Um, and that's because I live in like a community neighborhood feel. But in terms of Amazon, especially like for years now, I have not gotten excited about Amazon Prime Day or any of the uh, similar um, opportunities. And I just think because it, even Black Friday, Cyber Monday, all of these things, because as you said, uh, Dave, it just feels like it's all price grab stuff. It's all, you know, you have, if you pay attention, 
I feel like you could do sales right, okay? You could do deals right if you pay attention throughout the year, not just on these very highly marketed days, but I don't have the wherewithal um, to, or the patience or the interest to keep track of the TV that I want, put it in my cart, and yeah. then look at it for 365 days out of the year is like day trading and wait for it to get really, really cheap and then grab it. I just don't. Have yeah. And by really, really cheap, it's like, it's $12 off. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> like, thanks for that $12. As opposed I, to $8. Yeah. I, re I really appreciate that. Thank you for the ultimate bargain over here. <laughs> yeah, Alex, I, I have to say, I'm probably a little bit on the Brumia side here. And it's your side, too. It's, it's mm -hmm. cynicism. It doesn't really feel like there are great deals out there. Certainly not in the massively promoted sense, right? You're almost better off being a little bit more active and diligent to pay attention to products or stores that you like for the whole year round for when stuff ends up on clearance or end of season. And that stuff doesn't really get marketed in the same way. Yeah, and a part of the issue, especially when we start looking at these online shops like an Amazon, where they don't necessarily, they're, they're, they're improving this, but they don't really sell a lot of their own products. They're selling other people's products. And oftentimes, they can't really dictate what the sale prices are. You know, if you look at big brands like Apple or, or uh, Microsoft or some of these other uh, major brands, they're kind of the ones who dictate to all the different retailers, this is the sale price that you're going to be allowed to sell it at. So you you really don't have control on the types of sales because you will see it across the board. It's like, oh, a new iPhone is on sale. Well, it's the same price in every single retailer you look at. Mm -hmm. So I, I think there's that, that kind of power uh, and control uh, struggle that they have that, you know, it really shows itself when you get into an Amazon. Whereas if other big tech retailers, they, there's other things they can offer. Oh, well, we can offer, you know, cheaper warranties or, or you can get gift cards. Free, free like shipping, other free ways. shipping, baby. Yes. Shipping. Free one day yeah. shipping. That's where the large river retailer is always going to get me. If I can get something in one day versus 14 days for free. Okay, guys, you, you might've got me. You might've bit me in here. <laughs> yeah, but they they offer that all year round. So is that really an enticement for uh, for a, a big sales event yeah, like not, this? So that's kind of where yeah. I, I struggle a bit with these types of things. And uh, so, Rami, I know you kind of talked about how you, you just really don't involve yourself in these types of uh, sales and stuff like that. But in, in terms of how like where do you want to like do you do you keep wishlist do you look at that type of thing as well or or are you just like no i'm, I'm just gonna when i want to shop i want to go into something i'm just gonna go and do it yeah. regardless of what the price ends up being definitely like wish lists and kind of keeping things in my cart and not going anywhere with it is a is a hobby i take part in but i think it's mostly less around the deals and the sales and more around like do i really want this coffee machine versus another coffee machine like it's a completely different aspect of shopping altogether and i think that even that you know amazon does an amazing job at saying but if you get this coffee machine in an hour and 32 minutes then you can get it for this price or for free shipping or you know the qualify uh the qualification of amazon prime brings you here instead of where you are already like they just do a lot of that stuff yeah which feels like deals and sales to me um but again i'm not really good with the clock 
Okay, okay. So, let's, so, let's, so, let's, so let's sort of zoom out a little bit here, Alex, because mm -hmm. Ramya has indicated not the biggest online shopper in the world, maybe more of an online peruser uh, when you really right. get down to it. Whereas I think you and I have both admitted that we can get sucked in, we can get trapped a little bit here and there. There are people who actively search out uh, promo codes, actively search out coupons. I am not one of these people, but what I've observed, Alex, is that now in the Microsoft Edge web browser and in the Google Chrome web browser, they are automatically pulling promo codes and, and applying them uh, to your cart at checkout. What have you noticed in regards to uh, searching out promo codes or the application of coupons to your carts? Yeah, so I haven't experienced that as much. And maybe maybe my computer and my browsers don't like me as much, Dave. I, I'm I'm a bit more having to actively search out where to find the best deals. So one site that I always go to is uh, Red Flag Deals uh, because they they compile all these different um, catalogs or flyers or or brochures, and they they kind of list out. Well, th if you're looking for specific products, like they'll be like, oh, from from Walmart or from any retailer. Here are some of the biggest deals you can find or here is the flyer. So it's all kind of brought into one site that you can go and look at. You don't have to source out all the other ones. You, you can see, oh, well, this is a, a great deal on this one product there. They'll highlight it every now and then. So that's really how I used to find those best deals. I wish my, my browser started adding more of those coupons. Maybe there's a setting or two I need to, to add on or maybe an extension to, to help get me there because, hey, I, I would find that valuable. I guess I, I'm missing out of a, a few dollars uh, where where you're you're ahead of me there on that day uh, there are people who dedicate their entire lives to squeezing every penny out of their online shopping experience and whether it be the extensions for the coupons or the groupons or the promo codes or whether it be the extensions like honey or Rakuten that actually offer you cash back for any purchase you make on the browser it's 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 a it's a world that confuses and confounds me maybe that's uh, a worthwhile external guest for us to book on now with Dave Brown for someone to walk us through how these online uh, systems work in regards to truly finding the online shopping deals. Forget forget this personal finance conversation that we're having about mm. stock markets <laughs> and investing, investment approaches. How do I spend money better? Forget investing my money better. How do I spend my money better? Alex, thank you for this. Don't go too far. You're coming back for the news quiz in about uh, five minutes here. But before, Ramya, you go, you are the co-host of Kelly and Ramya, which hits the airwaves at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. What's coming up on the show today? We have Nutrition with Julia Caranches, and today's topic is hot cereal. Are you a fan of hot cereal, Dave? Like, would that be like instant oatmeal? I mean, I guess any kind of oatmeal would count. I mean, I, like, 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 I, like I, don't, I don't know. Like, yeah, hot cereal would be like cream of wheat or like oatmeal. Yeah, yeah I mean, exactly. my Nana used to make the best cream of wheat in the world. She would like sprinkle little bacon bits in it. And uh, I don't think it was particularly healthy, but I used to love my Nana's cream of wheat. <laughs> That's good because uh, the other kind of commentary I've heard around cream of wheat is it is way too healthy. Bill Shackleton is averse to cream of wheat. You should okay. have a combo with him. It's really funny. Uh, also, Kim Hovey, our community reporter in Yukon, is joining us to tell us actually about a uh, Western Canada road trip that she recently took Ooh. place with her mom. Yeah.
we had a, a convo beforehand about it with her and she was really really excited first time she was getting on um via and all these other incredible transits for the first time so she was super excited also parenting with lucia belafonte and that's a conversation we're having about uh, ableism and parenting so a lot of the internalized ableism and biases that you bring to the table and when you have a child with a disability how you can kind of become more self-aware of that stuff Ramia, remember when getting on a train felt like a fun novelty and it was something that uh, you didn't have to do like multiple times a year just to go see your friends for business trips <laughs> for business thing? trips yeah <laughs> As someone, yes, as, some, as someone who has spent a lot of time in the last few months going back and forth between Union Station in Toronto and Gare Centrale mm-hmm. in Montreal, yeah, the, maybe the novelty is a worn off. No one wants to a hear about already. my Montreal to Toronto uh, road trip <laughs> that I've taken about a million times in the last unless, four months. Unless, unless uh, you did it in business class, which is still a, a bucket list thing for me. Oh, okay. Well, that novelty is worn off for me as well. (laughs) Oh, Bougie Brown over here. Ramya, thank you for this. Thank you. That's Ramya Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Ramya, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Coming your way next, it's the weekly news quiz. Alicia Yardley, Amanda Shikarchi, and Alex Smythe will go head-to-head-to-head. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The Tuesday edition of the show always wraps up with the weekly news quiz. You get a quiz, and you get a quiz, and you get a quiz. There are contestants involved in the quiz. It's not just me asking questions out into the ether. So saying hello and good morning for the first time today to Alicia Yardley. Alicia, hello. Hello. And you have already heard today from Amanda Shikarchi. Hello again, Amanda. Hello, Dave. And you just heard from Alex Smythe in the last segment. Hello, Alex. Hello again, Dave. All righty. Here are the rules of the game, the rules of engagement. Three rounds of questions with three questions per round. Each question comes with three multiple choice options. If you answer the question without hearing the options, you get two points. If you need to hear the options and get it right, you get one. If you get it wrong, we move on until the point is awarded. The order of contestants was drawn by Mary Daniel. That's the wife of producer Paul Daniel. The order will be Alicia, Alex, and Amanda. So the first round is all about international news. Alicia, a country's leader said they want to raise the age of smoking one year every year until it is eventually illegal for the whole population. What country is it? Uh, New Zealand. That is incorrect, but I do like uh, I do like that you're going there. Uh, I'll, I'll offer caveats here in a second, but uh, but that is incorrect. Uh, over to Alex. Alex, do you want options or do you want to take a swipe at this? No, I, I think I remember this correctly. This was the UK, Dave. That is indeed the UK. Currently, uh, the age of selling cigarettes or tobacco products is 18 years old. So, Alicia, for what it's worth, 
New Zealand has also considered this policy, as has Australia. So, right. So you're so you're you're right in the mix. You're right in the mix, but uh, you weren't <laughs> quite correct in terms of the news because that news is a couple of years old from uh, down there in the land down under. Okay, so that's two points for Alex. Alex, and I have a real opportunity here to take a commanding lead right off the bat. A state chapter of the National Federation of the Blind is suing a southern U.S. state for its failure to provide an accessible option for blind and partially sighted absentee voters. What state is it? I'll need the options, please, Dave. Is it Mississippi, Tennessee, or Alabama? I'm going to go with Tennessee. That is incorrect. Amanda, is it Mississippi or Alabama? Alabama? That is correct. One point for Amanda Shikarchi. The Alabama NFB alleges absentee election managers in Tuscaloosa, Mobile, and Jefferson did not provide accessible alternatives. Okay, now Amanda's got a chance to uh, take the lead here. LaFonza Butler was appointed to the U.S. Senate last week. What state does LaFonza Butler represent? I'll take the options, please. Is it New York, California, or Virginia? Virginia? That is incorrect. Alicia, an opportunity for the steal. California. That is correct. One point for Alicia Yardley. Uh, she is filling the Senate seat after the death of Senator Dianne Feinstein. So after one round, Alex has two points. Amanda's got one. Alicia's got one. Anybody's going game going into the second round, which is all about sports. Alex, what band will play the halftime show at this year's Grey Cup? Oh, I I don't know. I'll need the options, please, Dave. Is it Green Day, Nickelback, or Our Lady Peace? Oh, Our Lady Peace. That is incorrect, Amanda. A chance right. for a steal. I'm going to say Nickelback. That is incorrect. Alicia getting the default point. Green Day is going to be playing the halftime show. Noted Canadian content for Canadian football, the band Green Day. Although I'm actually kind of delighted by this choice. I think that's going to be a good halftime show. By the way, the Great Cup takes place in Hamilton next month. So not too far from uh, Alex over there in Burlington. So now we've got a tie at the top of the board. We have Alicia with two, Alex with two. Amanda still sitting at one, but this next question goes to Amanda. Amanda, the WNBA announced a new franchise to join the league in 2025. In what U.S. state will this team be located? Uh, can I get the options, please? Is it Michigan, California, or Florida? Uh... Michigan? That is incorrect, Alicia. A chance for a steal. Uh, I'm gonna say Florida. That is incorrect. Alex Smythe picking up the default point. At the moment, there are 12 teams in the WNBA. This new team is going to be in the Bay Area, playing at the uh, same arena as the uh, the Golden State Warriors. So there you go, the Bay Area. San Francisco, Oakland is where you're going to get uh, that new team in the WNBA. So here we go to question number three of round number three. Alicia, this one's going to you. Hall of Fame NFL linebacker Dick Butkus died at the age of 80 last week. What team did Dick Butkus play for? Uh, I'll need the options, please. Is it the Chicago Bears, the New York Giants, or the Green Bay Packers? I'm going to say the Packers. That is incorrect. Alex, you get the next crack at this, <laughs> and I know you know the answer. 
Yeah, he was one of my he was my favorite player of all time, Dave. Uh, so it was uh, Chicago Bears, obviously number fifty one, number one in my heart, though. That is the correct answer. I like the little bit of a prelude on that one as well. One point for Alex Smythe. So after two rounds, I think I need the scoring up here on the screen here because I've lost count, but I believe it's Alex with four, Alicia with two, and Amanda with one. And that is the correct scoring on the screen. My brain is still good at math. The accounting department of Dave Brown Consulting is always working, but it's anybody's game going into the third round. And all these questions are going to be related to general news stories. And Amanda, you get the first shot at question number one of round number three. Liberal member of parliament, Greg Fergus, was elected as the new speaker of the House of Commons last week. In what province would you find his riding? Uh, can I get the options, please? Is it Ontario, Quebec, or New Brunswick? Uh, Ontario? That is incorrect. Alicia, a chance for a steal. Um, Quebec or New Brunswick? I'm going to say New Brunswick. That is incorrect. Another default point for Alex Smythe. The Quebec MP has represented the riding of Hull Aylmer in the Ottawa area since 2015. Right across the Ottawa River on the Quebec side is where uh, Greg Fergus uh, does his job as an MP. So Alex is taking a pretty commanding lead here, but there's still time, Alicia, as you get the second question of round number three. U.S. government officials are expanding their investigation into a car company's SUVs. What company is it? Uh, can I get the options, please? Is it Ford, GM, or Tesla? I'm going to say Tesla. That is incorrect. Alex, a chance for a steal. I'm going to go with GM. That is incorrect. The default okay. point for Amanda. The federal investigation is focusing on the company's 2021 and 2022 SUVs. There have been complaints of vehicles' engines failing unexpectedly under normal driving conditions. That is not good. When your car doesn't car, it ceases to be a car. Okay, things are looking pretty wrapped up here for Alex. But, hey, for the heck of it, let's do question number three of round number three. The Pentagon has transferred more than 1 million rounds of ammunition seized from another country to Ukraine. Which country did this ammo come from? Yeah, I remember hearing this story. I, I believe, is it Iran? That is two points for Alex Smythe, just bragging at this point with the big win. U.S. Navy forces seized the AK-47 rifle rounds from a stateless ship that was transporting them from Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps to Yemen last December. So there you go, recycle, reuse, uh, even in the world of ammunition. Okay, with that, your winner is... Smythe, that was just a dominant victory on your end. Dave, there are a couple of default points there. I, I, I need to admit to Alicia, I thought the exact same uh, answer to some of the ones that she didn't get that ended up falling to me by default. But I mean, when when I get a Dick Buckus Chicago Bear question, I, I, I just count myself fortunate. That's that's really what I'm thankful for. So yeah, that, yeah. When, that's an easy win for me. When one of those trickles down, when one of those trickles down to you, when your particular areas of interest tend to trickle down to you, uh, there are some advantages there. Uh, Amanda, I'm 
sorry that you did not pick up the win, but you did hear Alex talking about Amazon uh, Prime Big Deal Day or whatever nonsense they're calling it right now. To me, it's just another Prime Day. Uh, what are your habits when it comes to online shopping? It depends. Like, if I see something I like, then I'll go for it. But I'm not, like, one of those people who will, like, actively every day be like, yo, what's on the Amazon sphere? And, like, you know, adding <laughs> items to my cart. It's more of an as-needed type thing. <laughs> yeah, not, not just going for a general peruse, a paddle down the giant river retailer just for the heck of it, right? Right, exactly, Dave. <laughs> uh, Alicia, what about you? On one of these uh, nonsense capitalism days that Amazon has created out of uh, out of thin air, uh, what are your general online shopping habits? You strike me as someone who's good at restraint. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. Um, <laughs> I um, no, I it's funny. Like I'm um, I'm going to Cancun next week, and so I'm like buying a ton of stuff on Amazon. Um, and I've started even buying clothes on Amazon. So I, and then if I don't like them, I could just return them. So it's, it's not an addiction, but I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, I, I am not good with restraint. <laughs> the, the one thing they've figured out with Amazon is just that, right? That if you don't like something, it's really easy to send it back. Sometimes, Alicia, they don't even ask for it back. They're like, yeah, you know what? It's going to cost us more just to ship it back to us. You, you just hang on to it or throw it out. I know, which is awesome. It's like I got a freebie. I got, I got a freebie, <laughs> even if I don't like it or it doesn't work. No. It doesn't matter. I just hang on to that one. Alicia, there's only about a minute left on the clock here, but uh, what's in Cancun? What's going on? Um, I'm going to be staying at a Club Med for a week. So, Come on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um <laughs> Right in the middle of hurricane season. Yeah, right, so let's hope right, right in the middle of hurricane season. I was also going to say, it seems like it's a little early in the weather turning cold to seek out the warm weather vacation. You know, like it's only been a couple days of a little bit of chilly conditions here, Alicia. And Mexico seems like a little bit of an overkill here this early in the year. I know, but you know what? For the price, it was like it's either now or I don't go. So it's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking of speaking of restraints, sometimes uh, that's going to be its own uh, kind of call of the wild to bring you in. Well, I could go down to this all-inclusive resort for $1,000. Okay, well, you know what? Why not? Let's make a day of it. Hey, Alicia, I'm sorry that the news quiz didn't quite go your way, but thank you for your ongoing participation. Oh, anytime. And next time I will... Uh claim victory there you go come back with it come back with a 10 and claim some victory and amanda and amanda thank you as well always appreciate your input all, all across the show talk to you tomorrow morning thank you yes talk to you tomorrow and alex Smythe, good luck getting those great cup tickets so you can go see green day in a couple weeks yeah exactly dave <laughs> hey you know alex Smythe ain't no american idiots we are uh, canadian idiots up here in our own special way that's all the time there is for the show today don't worry things kick off again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m eastern time there's going to be a conversation about accessible voting what can be done to make the voting experience more inclusive marco pasqua and elizabeth moeller will have thoughts on that topic Things kick off 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. 
watch The Pulse on YouTube, or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.